Our Old Testament passage today picks up in Genesis chapter 29, verse 1. Verse 1, then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered, and the stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherd would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in his place over the mouth of the well. And Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And he said, Behold, it is still high day, and it is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of his mother's brother. Now, I want you to back up and I want you to notice the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth. And I want you to notice Jacob rolled the stone by himself. Now, <laughs> forgive me, but that's a very young man thing to do. A little bit macho. I don't need anybody to help me with this. I'm going to show this girl how strong I am. <laughs> that's very much a young man's thing to do. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. Now, I want you to notice this kiss here. This is not sexual. This is family greeting. So he didn't kiss a girl that he didn't know. All right, This was, this was like... When I go to Israel, I have a friend there, George. He runs Bethlehem gift shop. We often go there with our tours. And I've known George for over 20 years. And George always has fun, and he grabs my head, and he pulls it down, and he puts a big wet one right on the top of my bald head. All right? This is just, this is the greeting between friends. And if, if you're with us in Israel one time, you'll watch him do that. All right? This was not a sexual thing. This was a greeting. At verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, embraced him, and kissed him. So again, notice this is not a sexual thing. So we'll tie these two together so that we, we keep them together in our minds that not only did he kiss Rachel, but then Laban came and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone." my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Now notice, he's already working. Now, he's been there a month, but he's already working. Now, there's something that you have to understand about ancient cultures, and really, you know what, it's a pretty good thing. Jacob did not go there and watch Ibulagah every day. I mean, people in that day, everybody worked. 
And so he was out working with everybody else because, you know, that's just what family does. Now, sometimes today we have people who come and stay in our house and they want to be waited on and they want us to serve them. And they don't want to pull their weight. They just want to eat the food. Uh, that's not the example we find here in Scripture. We find that when somebody came and stayed with a relative, they worked to help the family. Everybody worked. So Jacob said, listen, you're working in the family business. Should you serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. In other words, she was gunda. Okay. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your daughter, Rachel. <laughs> Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Now, ladies, note, when a man loves you, he can wait. <laughs> he can wait for sex. Mm -hmm. He can wait while you finish your degree. He can wait when a guy loves you. Because of his love for her, they seem to him but a few days. When a man really loves a woman, he can wait. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. She said, Listen, I, I want to finally have relations with my wife. I want to be married and have relations with her. I've waited for seven years. We've kept this thing clean. Okay. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant, Zilpha, to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And oh boy, can you imagine waking up and, you know, you've, you've been with this woman in the night, and you really couldn't see because it was dark, and you didn't know who it was. Mm. And Jacob said to Laban, what have you done? What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Um, he reaped what he sowed. And, and this is a law that you have to understand. God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He deceived his father. Now he is being deceived. Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other one also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So you have one husband, two sisters. Now that looks like nothing but arguments to me. Okay. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also. So for one week, he had sex with Leah, and he lived as a husband of Leah. And then on the second week, now he had two wives, Leah and Rachel, and he had sex with both of them. And he loved Rachel more than Leah. Of course he did. Okay, He'd been serving for seven years for her. And he served Laban for another seven years. When, Leah, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. 
Now that's one of those, put a question mark next to it. Jacob was deceived. So you look at this and you go, Lord, is that fair? But you know God is fair. So there's something at least I don't understand about that. Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me. Now notice, my husband will love me. I'm hated. He'll become attached to me. Listen to the heart of this woman that felt so neglected. So neglected. He still had sex with her but he had no heart for her. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. And she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. Okay, you've got strife between sisters, all right? She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? He said, I can't cause life. I can have sex with you, but I can't cause life. Only God can give life. Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that you may give birth. She may give birth on my behalf, even that even I may have children through her. So she gave to him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me, and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again, and bore Jacob a second son. Then Jacob said, with mighty wrestling, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. <laughs> Look at the strife that's happening here. Look at the strife. There's no peace in this family. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. She said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Will you take away my son's mandrakes? So in other words, my husband. Leah said, I was first, even though it was deception, I was first. And Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Now, again, you look at passages like this, and you put a question mark, and you scratch your head, and you go, these two Swiss sisters swapped their husband for sex for some fruit. When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me, for I have hired you. I hired you. I paid for you to have sex with me tonight, with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. 
And here's a big question mark again. God listened to her. She hires her son. She hires her husband's sexual favors by paying off the other wife. And God hears her and she conceived and gave and bore Jacob a second son. Again, I put a question mark. There's things there I just don't understand. And one day we will. I mean, God will teach us all these things. Putting question marks in your Bible is not questioning God. It's all about learning, saying, there's things I don't understand, so I'm going to put a question mark because that's something I need to study and pray about. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I've borne him six sons. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to notice some things here. Here she says she's hated. She says she's hated. She says, I want my husband to love me. I want my husband to be attached to me. Now she says, I want my husband to honor me. Here is the cry of a woman's heart. Now, guys, there's a lot of stuff we don't understand here. But guys, here's some things that you need to get a hold of. A wife wants to be loved. A wife wants you to be attached or committed to her. And a wife wants to be honored. So hear the cry of this woman's heart. And guys, you want your wife to be happy? We talk about happy wife, happy life. Love her. Be committed to her. Honor her. These are cries of a woman's heart. Verse 21. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name did dining. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. As soon as Rachel was born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own home and country. All right, back to the promised land. And remember the experience on the way there. So you're talking over 20 years now, okay? Talking about 20 years, he remembers the promises of God. It's time for him to go back to the land of promise. Give me my wives, my children, for whom I have served you, that I may go, for I know this, for you know the service I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. This is what we can call the Jacob or the Joseph principle. And this is a good principle for professionals. You want, you want God to make it clear to your boss that God has brought blessings to the company because of you. You want them to understand that God has blessed the business. And you want the owners of a business to understand that God has blessed the business because of you. <laughs> See, people don't want you to go there. People aren't looking to retrench you. They're not looking to retire you. They're looking to keep you because they recognize 
This person brings the blessings of God. He said, name your wages and I will give you. All right. This is how to prosper as a professional. When you bring the blessings of God to a company, the bosses will look at you and say, name your wages. They just want you to stay. What is it going to take to keep you? That's how every boss feels. That's how every owner of a company will feel. If you are a person who brings the blessings of God, name your wages. <laughs> you know, the world likes to say there's nobody that's indispensable. But in one essence, there is. People who bring the blessings of God are indispensable. You, you cannot replicate an anointing. You cannot replicate the favor of God on a person's life. So do you really want to be able to name your wages? Do you really want to prosper? Be able to set your own salary? Then you bring the blessings of God to that company. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock is fared with me. For you had little before I came. Okay, so Laban was, was poor. And it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. Wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? Now notice, wherever I have turned. He said, listen, you've been blessed because of what God's favors on my life. The Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. The blessings on my life, boss. The favor of God's on my life. He said, well, what I want to do is, when can I do something for my own household? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, do not give me anything. Ah, here is a heart to prosper. Don't give me anything. One of the great hindrances to prosperity in the life of a professional. He said, you want somebody to give you something? He said, don't give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Verse 32, he said, let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come looking into my wages with you, everyone that is not speckled or spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted as stolen. And Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. Now, I want you to notice an integrity system. Whenever you set up a reward system, a reward on productivity, when you set up a reward system where you are rewarded for your productivity, for what you accomplish, it needs to be an integrity system. So that no one can say that you have bloated the numbers, so that no one can say that you have falsified the records to increase your bonuses. It needs to be set up where there's an integrity system. Now, when you set it up where there is no integrity system and you falsify records, uh, you're going to find out something's going to come along and when people do an accounting, you're going to lose everything. So what you need to do is have a system set up where your honesty will answer for you. 
Your honesty answers for you. How does honesty answer for you? By the system that you set up. Verse 35. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. Right, so now we have two herds. We have the herds of the sons, and we have the herds of Jacob. Okay? So we, we have the sons where we don't see the favor of God, and we have Jacob where we do see the favor of God. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flocks. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. And he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks of the troughs, that is the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they, since they bred when they came to drink. All right, so... This is, the, this is the time when it happens. They have their, the animals have their sex and they breed when they come to drink. The flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the stripe and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he put his own droves apart, but he did not put them in with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock was breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. Now, first of all, we need to understand there is nothing spiritual about Sticks, all right? The sticks mean nothing. It is faith. Because we'll see later, God gave him a dream. This was an act of faith. This was an act of faith. Now, he did his act of faith with strategy. He did his act of faith before the stronger of the flock, and not before the weaker of the flock. He did the act of faith at the right time, the time of the breathing when they were at the water wells. So, you know, you, you have to understand, acts of faith, acts of faith need to be strategic. Acts of faith need to be strategic. They need to be done strategic time, and they need to be strategic situation with the stronger animals. And this is how a man went from nothing to great wealth. God showed him a plan. He did these acts of faith strategically, and he saw great wealth transferred to his life. All right, let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship. Last night with a heavy on Woke up and feeling lonely. This world got a way of showing me. Some days it'll lift you up, some days it'll call you bluff. And for some of my days, I got enough. It's all I know. 
New Testament passage today picks up in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, beginning with verse 1. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man saw and spoke. Now notice, he's blind and mute, and now he can speak and see. This is full healing, restored to full health. Notice, Jesus didn't just heal the blindness, but leave him unable to speak. Jesus healed the blindness and the muteness. All the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So in other words, they say, um, they said, Jesus worked by Satan. Knowing their thoughts. 
Jesus said to them. Now, look at that. Knowing their thoughts. Jesus knew what these people thought about him. You know, have you ever just sat down and asked yourself a question? How did Jesus feel when he's doing all of this for them? And he's laying down his life for them. And he's doing his best to serve them. And this is what they thought about it. Now, just sometimes just put yourself in the situation, knowing their thoughts. How must it have had impacted him? How must he have felt sometimes, knowing their thoughts? He said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house, family, divided itself against itself will stand. So listen, you're going to have to have unity. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. Then how will his kingdom stand? Now, you know what? He, he asked the question. Satan does have a kingdom. Now, one of the things you're going to learn about Satan's kingdom is it does function in unity. Now, not the kind of unity that you and I think of. You know, Satan does not tolerate dissent. Satan does not tolerate dissent. One of the things you're going to learn is that sin is very intolerant. Let me say that again. Sin is intolerant. Sin demands conformity. Satan's kingdom demands conformity. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God, what is the kingdom of God? The authority of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. How can you enter a strong man's house unless he first binds the strong man? Now, you know what? That's one of those verses I have a few question marks about. I've heard some of the strangest sermons in my life preached upon that passage. How can you enter a strong man? In other words, Jesus is saying, um, how can I enter Satan's house? This, this world is Satan's kingdom. He's the God of this world. And plunder his goods unless I first bind him. Whoever is not with me is against me. And who does ever, whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now notice, gather. Gather. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. One of the things you have to learn about ministry is you have to be with Jesus or you're against him. You're, you're either part of his authority structure or you're part of Satan's authority structure. And he said, if you're not with me, you're against me. And he said, if you're not gathering with me, you're scattered. You know, there are, there are many people that run around preaching and all they do is scatter people. All they do is, they're not gathering with Jesus, okay? They're, they're scattering people because they want to gather them to themselves. They're not gathering, here's the key, with me. They're gathering to themselves. And they don't understand that gathering people to yourself is actually scattering people. 
Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, again, I have a question mark there. I don't pretend to understand everything about that passage, but I do know this. I like what my grandfather taught me. Most of the smart things I think I learned from grandpa. You say, Pastor, how can I know if I'm blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Are you still feeling conviction? Well, yeah. Well, then you haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit who convicts you. I think you'll find that when you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, there's no more conviction. There's no more work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Now, here's that, will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So here's twice we see not forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. He said, it's not going to happen. Now, speaks a word against the Son of Man. Jesus, you're casting out demons by Satan. Jesus, you're full of the devil. Jesus, you're a false prophet. He said, whatever you speak against me will be forgiven. <laughs> Jesus is amazing, all right? Now he continues. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. So the tree is not known by its appearance, but by its fruit. What does it produce? Now he continues. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, folks, this is not just a principle of faith. This is a principle of heart. Not just a principle of faith. Yes, if your heart is full of faith, out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks faith. But when your heart is full of evil, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks evil. You know, I, I sat down with a young pastor one time, and he was always preaching, ah, just hellfire, brimstone, condemnation. Everybody's full of sin. Everybody's going to hell, yada, 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 yada. You know, everybody's wicked. Everybody's nasty. Everybody, just full of it. Every preacher in the world is backslidden and a false prophet. You know, you name it. This guy was just so full of it. And I sat down with a young man. He came to a conference and came up afterwards. He said, Pastor Summerall, I want to talk to you about your doctrine. And he starts chewing me out and saying all kinds of things. And I, I listened to him for about 15 minutes. And I said, now, young man, I've listened to you for 15 minutes. Is that correct? He said, I don't know, I didn't count. I said, I did. I, I've endured 15 minutes of you. Now, you sit here and you listen to me for 15 minutes. And I've made notes. All the things he was accusing all the other preachers of. And basically, I showed him that the guilt and condemnation of his own heart is what was causing him to speak it. I said, you believe that you're false. That's why you call everybody else false. I said, you know all the sins of your life, and that's why you're accusing everybody of those sins. I said, all you're doing is showing everybody the sinfulness of your heart. I said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. When your heart is full of evil, when your heart is full of sin, 
I said, your heart is full of bitterness, your heart is full of anger, your heart is full of sexual immorality, your heart is full of greed, your heart is full of envy. And I said, because of that, everything that comes out of your mouth represents that. Now, he looked at me, and I will give this young man this. By about 12 minutes into my 15 minutes, because I timed myself, because I only asked him for 15 minutes, and I really didn't believe he was going to stick it out. And admittedly, he got up after about five minutes and then sat back down. He said, I agreed to give you 15 minutes. About 12 minutes in, a tear began to come down his face. He said, Pastor Summer, how can you possibly know all of this? Did the Holy Spirit show you? And I looked at him and I said, young man, no. I said, it's plain to everybody who listens to you talk. Because of the evil stored in your own heart, this is why you're attacking everybody else. I said, you have to understand, the evil that is stored in your heart is causing that stuff to come out and you accuse everybody else of what's really in your life. Now, I would not tell you that that day the young man completely got right with God. But I would tell you within about three or four months, that young man contacted me by email. And he said, Pastor Samuel, it's really taken me a while. But he started counseling with another pastor that I knew in his city. And I'd recommended him. I called my friend. I said, please help this young man. I said, he's, he, the, the hand of God is on his life, and he's got a bunch of stuff in his heart as well. And so this wise old pastor had sat down with him. and he helped me a lot also. And after, you know, several months, the young man sent me an email and said, Pastor Samuel, I want you to know what a different man I am. He said, I had no idea how, how happy you could be in the ministry. He said, but I'm happy now. And he said, my sermons are so different. And he said, now my church is growing. I said, good. I said, I said sometimes you just got stuff in your heart. And I said, now you got that stuff out of your heart. You got good stuff in your heart. I said, you've been listening to my friend. And I said, this guy is more than a friend. This, this guy is a man who's helped me a lot. I said, I'm not sure. He calls me friend, but I would call him more a father in the faith. I said, you've been listening to him. and You've been studying with him. And I said, he's helped fill your heart with good things. Now, good things. When you stand up and preach, good things come out of your mouth. And it helps the people. Now, now this is what Jesus is trying to teach he said, a good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And an evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So you can have evil treasure or you can have good treasure. Now, I want you to notice, both of them are called treasure. Both of them are called treasure. Things that are valued. things that are valued. You value this attitude. You value this principle. You value this attitude. This, you know, and I'm sorry. It's, you've got that treasure in your heart. It says out of that treasure comes forth evil, comes forth vision, comes forth strife, comes forth condemnation. Yeah. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Now, that's one of what I call one of those scary verses. On the day of judgment, 
People will give an account for every careless word they speak. That's a scary verse. You know, I've sat around and listened, and I've watched people sit around and just, you know, some people just shoot their mouth off because they want everybody to listen to them. And so they sit around with people and they shoot their mouth off, and people are interested because they're telling scandalous things. They're, they're lying, and it seems to motivate these people to tell even more scandalous things that are all lies. Then they got to kind of got to stand behind those lies. They don't understand. One day, every careless word, you'll be held accountable for. Now, again, I've watched people do this. You know, I've watched people caught up in it, and they start telling scandalous things, and then they have to try to validate them, and they lose all their friends, and they have to try to prove all of their lies are true, and they're not true. But the worst thing of it all is one day, they will give an account of every careless, every careless word, every word that has no care in it. <laughs> you know, everybody says, what does careless mean? Every word that does not have care in it. There's no care in those words. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Wow. Those are scary verses. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This is his death and resurrection. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Wow. So Nineveh will rise up with this generation. So there will come a day at the great white throne judgment. There will come a day that the people of Nineveh will rise up and they will stand against these people because they repented and that generation of Jesus did not. The queen of the south will also rise up in judgment with this generation. This is Jesus's generation. And condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, if you ever wonder where Paul got the theme greater, this is Hebrews theme. Jesus is greater. I believe this is where Paul got his idea. Something greater. When an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but it finds none. So demons have no rest in waterless places. Now, one of the things I want you to understand is the human body is 90 plus percent water. This is one of the reasons demons like to inhabit a physical body because of the water content. There's something about the torment that a demon feels, separated from God, that water gives it rest. So you, you don't find demons hanging out in deserts. You, you find demons near water. Then it says, do you remember where the, the demons were 
right there around the Sea of Galilee. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. All right. So here's a person that is uh, delivered, but not saved. You see, if a person is delivered, and maybe they're even religious because they're, the demon is out, so they're delivered. They're swept and put in order, so all right, maybe they become religious. They, you know, they're starting to live right and act right. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil. So demons have levels of evil. And they enter and dwell there. They enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. Now, I want you to notice that when you cast a demon out of somebody, if you don't get them born again so that Jesus lives in them and they become the temple of God and the temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, they're empty. Now, the beautiful thing is when you cast a demon out of somebody and they get born again, God lives in them. There's no room for demons anymore. Demons can only enter an empty house. And when you're born again, you are not an empty house. But again, notice seven other. They go get seven more demons and say, listen, I want some company this time. While he was still speaking, and again, notice he speaks of his own generation, this generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But they replied to the man who told them, who was my, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hands for his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For everyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Notice, not father, brother, sister, and mother. So in other words, Jesus said, whoever does the will of the father in heaven is family. Whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is family. Many years ago, when Sister Bev and I first came to the Philippines, we, we walked away from our family. And honestly, we've lived all of our lives away from our family. We've watched our grandparents go to be with the Lord. We've watched our parents go to be with the Lord. But you know what? Jesus said, when you give up family, he said, there's going to be a hundredfold return in this life, Matthew 10. And I look around at COP, God has given Sister Bev and I and Shah the biggest family. We got so many mothers, we got so many sisters, we got so many brothers. When you do the will of God and you hang out with people that do the will of God, you have a big family. Now, I don't share that to try to separate people from their biological family, but I share that because some of you are also called to the ministry and you have to realize there, I will have a big family. And some of you, forgive me, you've never had family. You've been cast out. COP is your family. When you gather with people who do the will of God, you have family. All right. Now, one last passage. We always close with a little bit of Proverbs. So let's close with a little bit of Proverbs today. Chapter 3, verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. 
For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Now notice, this is the value of wisdom. This is capital. Pastor Samuel, I need capital to start my business. Well, here's the best capital you can have. It's better than silver. It's better than gold. It's more precious than jewels. Nothing can compare with this capital. Wisdom. Long life is in her right hand. And in her left hand are riches and honor. All right, so the value of wisdom is long life, riches, and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. <laughs> like that. And all her paths are peace. The way of wisdom is pleasant. It's not full of strife. It's not full of bitterness and, and anger. The way of, of the way of wisdom is pleasant. And her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. And those who hold fast to her are called blessed. Now, lay hold and hold fast. Two great things today. It's one thing to find wisdom. It's another thing to hold on to it. Let me say that again. It's one thing to find wisdom. It's another thing to hold on to it and hold fast to it. Only by holding fast to it do you get all these benefits. All right. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, as we continue.